Warrior Woman, welcome back to the Warrior School podcast. This is episode 206. Hi, how are you? What's going on in your world? We just got back from training in the park. We did an upper body strength session in a park that's about five minutes away. We went and got a delicious coffee and then set ourselves up with the rings on some outdoor fitness equipment uh, at Mahone Park, which has a beautiful running track. And we trained upper body outside. It was just so delicious this morning, too delicious to be inside. And one of my little projects and goals this summer was to do more training stuff outside. I used to do it a lot when I worked with my coach in Melbourne. We would train outside a lot. He ran most of his business in the park. Uh, So if we weren't working on uh, heavy Olympic lifts, we were outside doing a lot of mobility, health work and body weight strength work in the park. And I miss it. I miss it. So I've been spending way more time out in the mountains, uh, in the trails, doing running, uh, sprinting at the track. And this morning we did our upper body session. We just had rings, we hung them over a bar uh, and we did pull-ups, one-arm push-ups, some dragon flags, which is this ab movement, uh, and then bar dips and some accessory work. We just brought our dumbbells and our bands along. We got a delicious coffee. It was so good. I'm feeling good. Are you ready? Are you ready to chat? Ready to spend this time together? Today we're going to talk about should I change what I eat across my menstrual cycle? We're going to talk about menstrual cycles again. (laughs) It seems to be a bit of a theme. I think because it's come up uh, a number of times in my one-on-one coaching work. It also came up in a conversation that I had with Lib, who is coming up on the podcast really soon. We were speaking about this idea of a well-balanced exercise program. And inside of Warrior School this month, I've been speaking about this idea of adaptation. So how can we build the confidence and get really good at learning to adapt our training, our food, our plans, our strategies based on what's coming up in our body and different conditions that come up in life. And one of the, I guess, the the focus pieces uh, when it comes to adapting our plans and our strategies is we got to talk about the menstrual cycle because... Uh, we have these changing hormone levels throughout our menstrual cycle and uh, our physiology changes in what you know a lot of the research and evidence shows is that we've got these changes to thermoregulation so core body temperature blood sugar levels uh, to breathing rates and these you know are negatively impacted by our hormones, especially in this late luteal phase, this pre-menstrual period of our menstrual cycle. So this is why exercising can feel a lot harder. And I spoke about that in the episode that I did on training and performing through PMS. So today I wanted to kind of approach it 
from this side or perspective of should I change what I eat across my menstrual cycle? So many people are talking about training with the menstrual cycle, uh, but there's not a lot of conversation around uh, do we actually need to change what we eat during our menstrual cycle? And if we do that, you know, is there any benefit? Does it positively impact uh, our menstrual cycle, maybe our symptoms, our recovery, our training and our performance. I actually did a really cool session inside of Warrior School uh, on uh, this particular topic, which was modifying your food and training based on your menstrual cycle. It was like an hour long uh, class that I did for my warriors. So I'm just taking a little piece of that class. Also a little, you know, some pieces from the conversations that I've had one-on-one with my warriors. Uh, And this, I guess this idea came from that question that I had from Nikita, which is how do I, uh, manage you know my myself my training and my food during times of stress so this late luteal phase of our menstrual cycle can be a little stressful for some women so is there any merit into changing what we're eating due to being a little bit more um, uh, pro-inflammatory a little less resilient to stress So over the course of the menstrual cycle, some research shows that we may have different caloric and macronutrient needs due to fluctuations in sex hormones, uh, uh, a change in substrate reliance and an increased demand during exercise. So, so it's important, you know, when we're thinking about creating our plans and our strategies We're thinking about this idea of confidently being able to adapt and modify. It's really important to consider the effects of the menstrual cycle on metabolism and performance because, well, we train and we exercise and we compete in every phase of our cycle. And if we can potentially optimize certain nutritional strategies based on these influences, so the changing hormone levels, the changing uh, substrate uh, availability and the increased energy demand during exercise, we potentially can get more out of our training. So there is quite a lot of evidence that suggests that estrogen, which is our dominant hormone in that first phase, is really a master regulator of both body composition and our metabolism. So the fluctuation of her or of estradiol throughout the menstrual cycle may have really big implications for our capacity, so our exercise capacity, tolerance, and our nutrition, which you know impacts our recovery. So there is uh, some research that shows that our total energy intake 
is increased during the luteal phase versus the follicular phase of our cycle. Uh, studies actually show a 5 to 10% increase in our resting metabolic rate. So that's about 100 to 200 more calories extra per day. However, there's less research and studies that are looking or have looked at understanding uh, changes in the actual diet composition. So the macro and micronutrient intakes uh, across the cycle. So the first thing that we got to talk about is uh, the, I call it the female training foundation, but it's based on the work uh, by Holtzman and Ackerman. And they did a study and it was called the hierarchy of nutritional needs for the female athlete. And essentially what they uh, recommended was that there are a hierarchy of needs for us when it comes to our nutrition and one must be met before we build on to the next. And so you've probably heard me speak about the foundation of training needs for females. At the base of that foundation is high energy availability or um, are we actually meeting our energy availability? Are we eating enough? And are we hydrated? So that is the first, um, I guess, the first consideration or the most important uh, thing when we're thinking about, okay, should I change my food uh, based on my menstrual cycle? Well, then the number one thing is, are you actually eating enough? The primary nutrition consideration for all women or females should be achieving adequate calorie intake. So eating enough calories, particularly if you're a woman who trains. A lot of women are in low energy availability. That means they're not even eating enough to maintain their hormones, their physiology, and then they're training on top of this. And so they end up in this low energy availability state, uh, which stresses the nervous system, stresses the metabolism uh, and ties into, you know, the health of the body, the function of the body. And, you know, for a lot of women who experience PMS, uh, we can we can link it back to them often being in a low energy availability state. So in order for us to support our cell, like cellular function, so in order for us just to have a healthy functioning body and to support our training demands, we need high energy availability. So energy availability is the remaining dietary energy in the body after the energy expenditure from physical activity has been considered. So this remaining energy... Uh, is available to be utilized in the body's metabolic processes. So again, if you have a lot of uh, markers that are in the red or the orange, or you know that your metabolism isn't functioning right, the body isn't healthy, uh, potentially you're in this low energy availability state where you actually just don't have enough energy to support the physiology. 
because the energy needs to be used, uh, especially if you're training, to fuel the demand, uh, the, the physical exertion that you're placing on the body. So if we fail to consistently maintain adequate calorie intake necessary for, you know, to support our physiology and our metabolism, uh, it actually results in health consequences and performance detriments, which are quite prevalent among um, a lot of females and a lot of female athletes. So think of the base of your pyramid. At the bottom, you need to make sure that you're eating enough food, enough calories. So what is enough? (laughs) What's an optimal energy availability? So the research says 40 to 45 kcals per kilo of fat-free mass per day. So 40 to 45 kcals per kilo of fat-free mass per day. So fat-free mass means lean muscle mass. Uh, And the way that we can determine that is through something like a DEXA scan. Uh, That's really the only way to determine your fat-free mass. If you can't get a DEXA scan or you don't have one and you wanted to do the calculation, You could use desired body weight if you aren't at your desired body weight, Uh, or we can just take, you know, we can take an estimation uh, and you could just calculate it based on your current body weight. But to get a very accurate uh, prediction uh, range requirement for you, Based on your current body composition, a DEXA scan will give you that um, that prediction, that range. Uh, It's the most accurate because it will break down. It's really cool. It breaks down all the tissue in your body and then it's going to give you the truest resting metabolic rate for you based on where your composition is at right now. So we really want to obtain that optimal energy availability, that 40 to 45 kcals per kilo of fat-free mass per day. Uh, And that's really essential for sustaining our metabolism and maximizing performance. Uh, So maximizing our training and our recovery. So there is some previous data that looks at the resting metabolic rate or the resting uh, energy expenditure throughout the entire menstrual cycle. And it does suggest that there are day-to-day fluctuations or variabilities, but uh, the big change in our resting metabolic rate in our metabolism is in the second phase of our cycle where we can experience up to a 10% increase in our resting metabolic rate during that luteal phase. So uh, that's around an extra 100 to 200 calories per day on top of our maintenance, um, our maintenance calories that we would have uh, throughout the rest of our menstrual cycle. So once calorie needs have been met, and there are a couple of different ways that you can do this, and I've spoken about this before, the um, shortest, most efficient, most accurate way Uh, for you to know if you are eating enough food is to track your food for a good five to seven days and then take the average 
uh, and then you can compare it to what your resting metabolic rate is. Uh, If you're not up to tracking, I've done a few podcast episodes on that before, uh, which I can pop in the show notes. Uh, You can just start writing what you're eating in a notebook, um, paying attention to more of the subjective data, what's your biofeedback saying. But the shortest, sharpest, quickest, most efficient, powerful way will be for you to do some tracking. But potentially you need some support with that. Um, And so you might need someone to help lead you through that. If you don't have any experience with that, if you have... um, Uh, some disordered eating or uh, past or even current eating disorder. Um, It may not uh, be the most supportive thing for you to do right now, but it is a powerful tool and resource because then we get to know if we are truly feeding and nourishing our body properly, and that is empowering. So once uh, we've met our um, our caloric needs, then we can address uh, the nutrient timing and composition. So we can actually look at the composition of our meals. So are we eating proteins, carbs, and fats in our meals and our snacks? Uh, Are they spread evenly over the day? And how are we timing those meals and snacks? Because the The balance of the meals and the frequency is important for energy, blood sugar regulation, mood, um, stability. Uh, It also really helps our digestion. And then there's extra advantage to looking at the nutrient timing of those macronutrients. So before, during and after training. So that would then stack on top of the composition of the meals. So the second, I guess, step that we need to look at is, am I balancing all my meals and snacks with proteins, carbs, and fats? Am I eating frequently across the day? Then I can look at addressing the nutrient timing. So am I getting the right amount of carbohydrates before, during, and after training? The right amount of protein before, during, and after training? to further optimize performance and recovery. So let's actually just, um, we'll do a little pit stop. And that pit stop, uh, we're going to talk about carbohydrates throughout your menstrual cycle. Then we'll touch on protein. So depending on the phase of your cycle that you're in, substrate utilization which just really means what macronutrient your body is utilizing most as fuel and our nutrient needs can change so in the first phase of our cycle the body is way better at actually using carbohydrates as fuel so the substrate utilization is really focused on utilizing and using carbohydrates. So carbohydrate oxidation, using carbohydrates for energy increases during that follicular phase. So the first phase of your cycle, uh, while glycogen storage is decreased. So because of this, the follicular phase may be better to support intense exercise, training hard, uh, And we really need to prioritize consuming carbohydrates before exercise to ensure we actually have adequate energy to perform. 
So really as a baseline, when we're thinking about training and performing, um, we need carbohydrates to fuel our training. Now, the amount and the specific strategy will depend on the type, frequency and duration of the exercise. And that's really important. So uh, the next stage on our um, pyramid, so we've gone through eating enough and then we've looked at balancing the composition of the meals. Then we can look at nutrient timing and that nutrient timing will depend on the type, duration and frequency of exercise. Then we can look at specific menstrual phase-based strategies depending on where we are in our cycle. For example, eating another an extra one to 200 calories per day in that second phase of our cycle. So for those 12 to 14 days prior to menstruation, then right at the top of that pyramid is individualization. So this is when we individualize the strategy based on the female, based on her body, based on the sport or the type of exercise that she's doing, uh, based on where she is in her menstrual cycle. So we, we need to prioritize consuming carbohydrates, especially if we're doing uh, endurance-based sports or an activity that's over um, uh, 90 minutes. We need a really strong uh, fueling strategy. So potentially this is where we would look at pre-loading or pre-fueling with carbohydrates. We'd need a really strong hydration strategy. Uh, but also if we're doing intense bouts of exercise, so we wanted to do sprints or a hit session or a sit session, we need to have adequate energy to perform that. So these short, uh, intense efforts, we're going to use carbohydrate as fuel. Whereas when we start to get into longer duration, uh, the body's going to switch over to either uh, carbohydrate and fat and then potentially uh, the substrate utilization is going to switch to fat uh, and fatty um, fatty acids. Uh, so carbs do serve as a vital fuel source. <laughs> They're vital during moderate to high intensity exercise. So the current acceptable macronutrient distribution uh, for carbs is 45 to 65% of total calories. And then there's an additional recommendation for really active populations. So for female athletes, and that is uh, six to 10 grams per kilo uh, of body mass or fat-free mass uh, per day, which is quite high. But the um, recommendation for recreational females or the average female is between 3, 3.5 up to 4.5, 5 grams of carbohydrates per day. Again, that will depend on, uh, you know, your metabolism, your thyroid, uh, your if you have any medical conditions, uh, how well the body can tolerate and process carbohydrates. Uh, it will depend on your body composition, uh, your blood sugar levels. There are a lot of variables as to how much you would eat uh, in a day. So the next macronutrient we want to look at is 
the adequate fat. We actually need fat, especially for menstrual function, for a healthy, robust menstrual cycle. So we want to consume enough dietary fat to some, uh, really to support our hormone production. Uh, fat also acts as an energy source for a lower intensity exercise um, and endurance exercise. So due to the decrease in estrogen during the luteal phase, carbohydrate oxidization decreases and the body relies more on fat oxidation, which may uh, better support low intensity exercise. So there's actually a switch in uh, substrate utilization uh, as we enter into that second phase of the cycle. So the body has a harder time uh, burning or using carbohydrate for fuel. It kind of switches to preferring to use uh, fat as the energy source, which is why you'll hear some recommendations around how it's harder to hit those high intensities and push as hard in that second phase. It's just harder for us to access that carbohydrate. Uh, but we can mitigate that by making sure that we're actually eating enough carbohydrate um, around exercise in that second phase of our cycle. So current recommendations call for an intake of one to four grams per kilo of body weight of carbohydrates in the one to four hours prior to training or competition or performance. Uh, and when we consume that, it's been shown to increase muscle and liver glycogen and maintain blood glucose. And that can potentially lead to improved performance uh, in our training or in that competition. And so it's it's yes, the body might prefer to use fat as fuel in that second phase of our cycle, but we can mitigate that by actually making sure that we're giving the body enough carbohydrates at the right time to fuel that uh, high intensity exercise. So we really want to aim to consume at least 20% of our total daily calories from fats uh, and we want to prioritize certain fats. So we want to prioritize uh, fats from our animal proteins, uh, butter, ghee, coconut oil, uh, fatty fish, olive oil, avocados. And we want to consume less of the uh, the poofers. Uh, so we want to limit or eliminate uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Uh, other than the change in substrate utilization, there, uh, there isn't a lot of other research that talks about uh, if there, you know, if we need to change anything when it comes to uh, our fat intake across the cycle. I think what I'll say to that is in that second phase of our cycle, we're more pro-inflammatory. So we've actually got more inflammation in the body. And so eating things like poofers, which cause inflammation, so a lot of polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, can create more inflammation in the body. So reducing those, even though we should be doing that as like our base, our foundation, our pyramid, uh, specifically looking at those inflammatory foods in that second phase of the cycle can help with uh, reducing inflammation, managing inflammation, and potentially reducing uh, the severity of PMS symptoms. 
Uh, so the elevated estrogen levels during the luteal phase, so estrogen will peak just prior to ovulation, and then she dips down a little bit, but she comes back up when progesterone comes on stage. So that's why the second phase is called high hormone phase, because they're both high. And so during this luteal phase, uh, estrogen really promotes uh, lipolysis through increased sensitivity to lipoprotein lipase and increased human growth hormone. So during the follicular phase, it uh, estrogen levels are lower, resulting in reduced reliance on fat as an energy substrate. So that is like the key takeaway uh, when it comes to fat as the macronutrient and the changes that happen physiologically and how you know how we switch over to wanting to use more fat in that second phase all right so then we've got the queen the queen p the queen p it's queen b i know but i call her queen p queen p protein what about protein throughout our cycle Well, if we think of our pyramid, our base, you know, we need to be eating enough protein. So we need to actually meet our recommended uh, intake of protein. And then we need to spread it evenly over the day. Then we need to focus on nutrient timing uh, around training. So those are the first three focus areas. Now, protein has many important roles in the body. So it It builds and repairs lean muscle mass. It supports our bone health. uh, It helps make our hormones, enzymes, and our antibodies. So progesterone and estrogen will peak during the uh, mid-luteal phase. So those five to seven days prior to menstruation or around day, between day 20 to 24. So during this time, uh, protein oxidization is increased and plasma amino acid concentration decreases so we have this increased protein intake during this time uh, can be really beneficial so this is you know when they talk about this they're saying that we're in more of a catabolic state and that is because protein oxidation increases uh, and the plasma amino acid concentration decreases So if we think about in the follicular phase, we really want to be eating enough protein, uh, eating it across the day, uh, eating it from our animal sources. uh, And then in the second phase, because we're in a little bit more of a catabolic state, we may need to have a little bit more protein or the timing around our training uh, becomes a little bit more important because training again puts us further into a catabolic state. So we really want to make sure that we have our nutrient timing on point, especially in that luteal phase. So there was a study that found that a better baseline protein intake uh, for us is really around that 1.8 to 2 grams per kilo of fat-free mass per day. Originally, it was said to be around 1.5 to 1.6 but a lot of the research now is really looking at we want to really aim for 1.8 to 2 grams of uh, protein uh, per day of fat-free mass so for me being uh, you know 155 pounds like 70 kilos you know that's a hundred and 
2,428 grams of protein per day. Uh, And we really want to consume that consistently across the day. Okay, when it comes to hydration, we can think about it uh, like we have two different buckets, two different strategies, two different approaches. We've got daily maintenance, hydration, and then we've got hydration around exercise or performance. So depending on what activity we're actually doing, we've got pre, intra and post exercise hydration. So specific recommendations for female athletes are lacking. A lot of the data is uh, on males <laughs> and they actually don't take into uh female specific physiology needs Uh, especially you know we've got these changes in uh, hormone levels in the second phase and as I said we you know our thermoregulation our blood sugar levels our breathing rates um, our blood plasma volume are all negatively affected which affects our time to fatigue uh, our sweat response and that's how we kind of link you know, hydration into it. During the luteal phase, uh, under the influence of higher progesterone levels, so progesterone dominant hormone in the second phase, our basal uh, body temperature increases. So our core body temperature increases. And this increase is about 0.5 to 1 degree. (laughs) But despite this increase, there's not a lot of evidence that suggests that this increase uh, really puts us at an increased risk for heat illness uh, or dehydration uh, compared to men. So our base hydration uh, strategy won't change uh, based on where we are in the menstrual cycle. It will change based on our sport or the uh, exercise that we're doing. So again, it comes back to the length, the duration, the intensity of the exercise that will determine the hydration strategy. So we can mostly achieve our daily maintenance hydration typically through um, food and then through drinking some fluids. So that could be water, uh, through coffee and tea, uh, through you know smoothies, uh, adrenal cocktails, coconut water, electrolyte drinks. And the average, you know, the research says around 30 to 35 mils per kilo of body mass per day. So for me, that's around, you know, 2.5 to 2.8 liters per day. Okay, do we actually need to supplement during our cycle? So think of your pyramid. You've looked at, I'm eating enough calories. I've looked at the composition of my meals and balancing proteins, carbs, and fats, eating frequently. Then I've looked at focusing on nutrient timing, which I've done podcast episodes on that, how to fuel well before, during, and after training. Then we can look at cycle-based strategies. So let's kind of recap. In that first phase, the body's better at using carbohydrates to fuel our exercise. So one, we want to make sure that we're eating enough carbohydrates and that we're timing the carbohydrate prior to the uh, exercise or the training to fuel that because the body can use it so we can hit those high intensities. We want to make sure that we're eating enough protein consistently over the day and we do need to hit our fat intake to support our hormones. 
But the actual macronutrient composition, how much I'm eating, doesn't really change a lot between the first phase and the second phase. The, the main thing that changes in the second phase is that we might need to eat a little bit more because of that higher rest met, high resting metabolic rate and that the substrate utilization changes. So we just need to make sure that we're on top of that nutrient timing, timing our carbohydrates well and eating enough prior to training so we have the energy. Then we can look at, okay, do I need to supplement? So certain nutrient needs increase during menstruation and uh, there are certain micronutrient deficiencies that can negatively impact our overall health. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, our athletic performance and they can increase the risk of injuries. Uh, and so we are often lacking or female athletes are often lacking enough folate, riboflavin, vitamin B12, vitamin D and iron. But do we need to supplement? Well, the first, I guess, thing is we need to look at our pyramid, eat, you know, our metabolic foods, uh, eat enough, uh, balance our meals well, eat enough carbohydrates, enough protein enough fat uh, to cover all of our bases then on top of that we could look at potentially supplementing and that will depend on maybe what tests show hormonal tests blood tests show uh, what symptomology that you're experiencing uh, there are some other supplements that are quite well studied I'll do a podcast on supplementation for performance I did one inside of warrior school it was a really fun presentation. We spoke about creatine, omega fatty three acids, uh, caffeine, uh, beta aniline, uh, you know, protein supplements. But creatine, omega three, protein, caffeine are all supplements that have been shown to be really pretty safe and effective in female athletes. So they can definitely support training and our performance. But we always, uh, I'll always recommend focusing on food whole foods <laughs> um, creating a really strong foundation before you start to supplement I also spoke a little bit about supplementation in the PMS podcast that you can listen to that uh, I have base supplements that I take so my magnesium my liver my oyster I take element which is an electrolyte drink every day I'm taking creatine right now and I do have um, a casein and sometimes a whey based protein that I'll take after training. And so I use those to support uh, my training and my recovery throughout my entire cycle. So I don't cycle them uh, at all with my menstrual cycle. They are um, baseline supplements that I would take during the day. Okay, warrior. I guess I'll finish uh, quickly talking about something that I can go into deeper on another podcast study. There was a study done, uh, but it was done with men. And basically they were looking at, it was called the Matador study. Sounds really cool and funky. Matador. Uh, <laughs> and they were really looking at time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting uh, and what they found was that they had greater body composition changes, greater loss of fat mass when they cycled between higher and lower calorie intake compared to just 
eating in a deficit consistently for a period of time. So we could take this idea of our menstrual cycle and, you know, this first phase, we're more resilient and tolerant to stress, a stronger immune system. We could push harder in training and then towards that second phase of the, you know, the cycle or towards that late luteal phase, we're a little bit more inflamed. Uh, Our resilience or tolerance to stress is not as great and we've got this higher uh, metabolic rate, resting metabolic rate. So this, you know, increased demand for energy. So what we could play around with is, um, you know, if we potentially wanted a body composition change and we wanted to go into a deficit, we could, uh, link it into our cycle and what you could try. And I haven't tried this. I believe Libby's talking a little bit about it right now. Um, I think that might be her new uh, action kit. Uh, and I think she speaks about it on the podcast a little bit. It's around the menstrual cycle. But I think she's uh, taking a little bit more of a specific look around uh food and body composition changes so I think she has quite a focus on body composition changes so you could check that out uh, that monthly action kit but I believe she's basing it on this matador study and so if we think about uh, those changing hormone levels and our resilience and tolerance to stress and then we look at this matador study which I don't I don't love it. I've read it uh, previously before when I was doing my master's in dietetics and then I just went back to it and had a bit of a look at it. It's done on men, obese men. uh, And so I don't really, it's not that I don't love to look at the research done on men, but it can be quite different for women and female physiology. But we could, you could give it a try. So basically what you could do is, You could eat in a deficit for the first two to three weeks of your cycle and then you could bump up, come back to maintenance in that, you know, last week, week and a half of your menstrual cycle. And then you could cycle through that. So basically doing two to three weeks in a deficit and then one, one and a half weeks back up at maintenance. And based on the results of the Matador study, doing that shows better improvements than being in a consistent calorie deficit. Uh, Also, the body can tolerate the deficit a little better in that first phase of our menstrual cycle because the resilience to stress is a little higher. And if we can also push harder in training, we get to create that bigger deficit, that bigger stimulus to potentially then create uh, bigger, bigger body composition changes, whereas the the body doesn't tolerate that as well in that second phase. So we can feed it more, we can give it more. Not only can we give it maintenance, we can then add on that extra one to two hundred calories to really bump up um, that intake to refeed ourselves, and then we can cycle back into the deficit. So it could be something to give a give a give a go. I'm going to try it. Uh, I'm going to try it. And this cycle, I guess, or next cycle, probably at the start of my next cycle. Uh, And I will let you know how it goes. Okay, Warrior, it was lovely to spend time with you. Bye for now. Warrior Woman, thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't, please give the podcast some love by subscribing now. 
And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it and share it with another warrior woman. Also, if you want to go crazy, I'd love if you wrote a review for the Warrior School podcast. And also share and tag me with your biggest takeaways for the episode on the gram. Okay, Warrior Woman, have a great week in training. Bye for now.